From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good afternoon and welcome to this edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council. And before we get underway today, let me take just a moment of personal privilege and give you some updated information. Tony will be back in the saddle tomorrow, and we're all excited about that. I would like to just personally extend a huge thank you to him for entrusting this chair and this microphone to me over the month of August. It has in every way been a joy, a thrill, and an incredible privilege and honor to sit in for him. But looking forward to him being back in the saddle tomorrow. He's needed some rest and he's also needed some time with his father as he has undergone some very serious surgery, which I'm sure we'll get an update on when Tony returns tomorrow. But also, I just want to say thank you to the incredible team at Washington Watch and FRC from the brainstorming team that meets every morning to the research team that does an amazing job, the production team that actually gets this to you, our viewers and listeners every day, and the scheduling team that makes sure we have people lined up. It's been an honor to work so closely with each of you and to see the enormous amount of work that you do and also to each of you who are part of the audience. It's been an honor to be with you as well. So with that, I just extend a sincere heartfelt thank you to each of you and let's get underway with the program today. Of course, first off on all of our hearts and minds are those who are in Florida who have been left vulnerable by the hurricane that has ravaged the state and southern part of Georgia. Of course, it could have been worse than it is, but that is not to say that many lives have nonetheless been devastated. So we encourage all of our viewers and listeners to remain in prayer and to offer support in any way that you can and as the Lord leads. That is very much needed right now. Also coming up on the program today, U.S. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimonda this week became the third Biden cabinet member to visit China since June. And during her four-day tour, which ended today, the Commerce Secretary said her goal was to open formal and direct channels of communication to resolve business issues. And she added this. I want to be clear. We are not compromising or negotiating in matters of national security, period. But this is meant to be a dialogue where we increase transparency and where we are clear about what we are doing as it relates to export control enforcement. Not compromising. But didn't she already do that when her department lifted restrictions on 27 Chinese companies and organizations ahead of her visit? Well, I'll discuss this in a little while with China expert Gordon Chang. And COVID has been coming back into the news recently, especially with the approach of flu season. Uh, we're even seeing the return of mandates in certain pockets across America. But with election season also underway, will the Biden administration try to bring back the unpopular federal mandates? Well, at present, the answer to that is no. They are just recommending that everyone get the latest jab, which for some people, by the way, will be their sixth or seventh jab. 
We know that, as you all know, vaccinations against COVID-19 remains the safest protection for avoiding hospitalization, long-term health outcomes, and death, which is why we are, we are going to be encouraging uh, Americans to stay up to date on their vaccines. Well, that was White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre earlier this week. I'll discuss the latest developments on this with academic clinical trialist and epidemiologist Dr. Andrew Boston a little bit later in the program. And speaking of things that just won't go away, authorities in Finland are at it again. They are putting Finnish Member of Parliament, Paivi Rashuna, back on trial for expressing a biblical understanding of marriage and sexuality. I'll get the latest from Paul Coleman, who's the Executive Director of Alliance Defending Freedom International. And to close out the show, I'll bring back FRC's David Clawson to continue unpacking the new worldview survey that was commissioned by FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview. What do Christians believe about transgenderism? And how many churchgoers believe the Bible speaks to the issue of religious liberty? Well, we'll go over this and much more as the program unfolds. So we've got a packed program, as always, lined up for you. And of course, our website is TonyPerkins.com. There you can find tons of resources as well as archived programs. And if you happen to miss any portion of today's program, you can catch it there on the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, the U.S. Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, concluded her four-day visit to China today, telling reporters that she hopes to see some results in the next few months. Well, her message to American businesses was to continue investing in China even after recognizing earlier how some companies are beginning to view China as uninvestable. So what can we draw from the trip? Well, joining me now to discuss this is China expert uh, Gordon Chang. He's the distinguished fellow, uh, senior fellow at the Gatestone Institute and the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. You can follow him on social media on the former uh, platform of Twitter under the handle of at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you on the program. Thank you so much, Jody. Well, listen, as I mentioned just a, a moment ago, the Commerce Secretary is the latest Biden administration official to uh, visit China here recently, hopefully to strengthen some communications between the two countries. But before we get into the actual visit, uh, refresh our, our viewers and listeners, who else in the cabinet has uh, recently been to China? There have been four straight visits of senior Biden administration officials to Beijing without a return official, a visit by a, a Chinese official. And it started in June with Secretary of State Antony Blinken. It continued with that infamous visit of Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, John Kerry, the climate czar, was next. And now it's been Gina Raimondo, the Commerce Secretary. And the problem here is that we are giving the Chinese the impression that we ourselves believe that we are supplicants to China, because this is unprecedented in the straight visits to Beijing without a return visit. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we're communicating. What do you think this administration is trying to do with all these visits? I actually don't know, because what these visits do is it makes it harder for the administration to accomplish its own goals because they're making the Chinese more arrogant. 
The only there are two things. Two things I can guess. One of them is that, as we know, um, Secretary Blinken talks a lot to Henry Kissinger. They basically live in the same building, and so you know Kissinger has been warning about war. In June, he said that war between China and the United States over Taiwan is "quote unquote" probable, and so I guess the Biden team is trying to desperately prevent a war. But what they're doing is actually accelerating it by making the Chinese even more emboldened. The other thing is that maybe the Commerce Secretary knows that American business is going to leave China anyway, so she doesn't want to say, "Oh, you should leave China." Because she doesn't want to be blamed for the severing of relations, and so she's saying, "Oh yeah, invest in China." The problem there, Jody, is that China is increasingly dangerous for American business and Americans and foreigners in general. And as a matter of protecting Americans, she should be urging American businesses to get out of China as fast as possible. We have seen this before in Chinese history, where they attack foreigners, and that's exactly what's going on right now. Excellent point, and you know the the、uh, commerce secretary said there was no compromise, no compromise, and yet there were twenty seven Chinese companies on our blacklist who have been taken off that list、uh, in in relation to this、uh, this tour, this visit、uh, by the commerce secretary. Can you tell us about that? Uh, and uh, so we have these twenty seven companies taken off the blacklist, but what did we get, if anything, in return? The only thing that we got, Jody, was I suppose the right for Secretary Raimondo to go to Beijing. I think this probably was a condition that the Chinese imposed,、uh, taking the 27 companies off the unverified list of the, of the Commerce Department. But this is really wrong.、Um, if you're going to make a concession, you should get a concession at the same time. Sending the Commerce Secretary to Beijing should not be viewed as a concession. Because right now China needs us much more than we need China, because the American economy is chugging along. I mean, there are problems, of course, but we're chugging along,、um, and China is falling apart. And so they need foreign business, they need American business, and so we've given them a big favor and gotten nothing in return. Well, I, it's it's so frustrating. Do you have any idea what what other things of substance were discussed during the meeting? They probably. We know that they set up these bilateral forums on discussing America's national security restrictions on Chinese companies, sort of explaining them. Well, we shouldn't be explaining our rules to the Chinese. They can read.、Um, they can read very well.、Um, they go to Harvard. They go to Cambridge. They go to Oxford. They can read. Um, the other thing is that、um, there was the issue about tourism, about encouraging Americans to go to China and Chinese to come to the United States. But what we're doing by sending tourists to China is just increasing the number of potential hostages, because China has been taking hostages, including Americans. And I'm sure the other thing that they talked about was China not taking deliveries of 737 Maxes. So it's a Boeing issue there as well. Um, the refusal to take those planes is unjustified. Another Chinese trade violation. And instead of talking about this, we should be imposing costs for unjustifiable Chinese behavior. Let's give the Chinese something to talk about. Now, I don't think we should be talking to China anyway for a lot of reasons. That's a very involved conversation. But if you think we should be talking to China, and the Biden administration obviously does. Then at least make it possible to have a meaningful conversation. You know, over these four trips, 
there have been virtually no meaningful conversations with the Chinese as far as we can tell. Uh, Gordon, listen, we've only got about a minute or so left. I know the uh, Shanghai Communist Party secretary uh, said that he wants a, a stable relationship between the United States and China. Uh, and they're, they're also wanting some sort of rational and uh, practical policies. 30 seconds or so, what do you think they mean by that? They mean the end of all American defensive measures. Um, you know, essentially, they want concessions from us. They don't want to give us anything. And so, yeah, that sounds nice. But if there's instability in the relationship, and there certainly is, it's because of China, not because of the United States. Well, it's a very interesting scenario, and it can be a frightening scenario that's unfolding before us. Gordon Chang, thank you so much for your insight on all of this. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. All right, all right friends, coming up, the administration that tried to force all Americans to get the jab is at it again. Uh, we'll see where all this is going. We'll talk about what's up the sleeves of this administration right after the break. So don't go away. We'll be right back. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Dr. James Dobson. And I just want to congratulate you on everything that's said and done there. I believe in the Family Research Council and the work that it's doing. There aren't very many left that are that true blue, that uh, conform with biblical truth. Uh, but this organization has done that, and I congratulate you for it. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Good afternoon and welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and an honor to have you on board with us. With fall and winter comes cooler weather, and of course, with the cooler weather comes flu season. Well, nowadays, there's also concern of a possible resurgence of COVID cases, and COVID shots come with that. And of course, those shots have been updated in response to the current circulating variants that are expected uh, to be around, and those uh, the new vaccine is supposed to be available sometime in mid-September. The Biden administration is going to be encouraging all Americans to get that new vaccine, but that's not all. Last week, President Biden drew attention by telling reporters that he plans to ask Congress for funding for a new COVID vaccine. I signed off this morning on a proposal we have to present to the Congress a request for additional funding for a new vaccine that is necessary, that works. And tentatively, not decided finally yet, tentatively, it is recommended that so at least we're being told this one is going to work, but are we making COVID a bigger deal than it should be? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is academic clinical trialist and epidemiologist, Dr. Andrew Boston. Dr. Boston, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Thanks. Uh, nice to be with you, Jody. Well, thankfully, Americans have been putting COVID-19 behind them. I think over the number of cases and deaths shrank significantly, and we're all grateful for that. But, of course, flu season is now coming back, which also means COVID season is coming back. So can you tell us uh, a little bit about some of the latest figures and about the latest variants that we can expect? Well, I mean, we're, we're seeing a slight uptick in, in cases, and, and I, I hate the definition of cases because it just means that people have tested positive for whatever reason um, that they're being tested. 
Um, and uh, that doesn't tell us very much because what happens, unfortunately, Jody, is that the positivity uh, is like a tar baby. It, it, it labels you, even if it's uh, insignificant uh, infection, uh, as being, quote unquote, hospitalized uh, uh, with COVID and potentially even dying with COVID. And very, you know, we have good metrics now, which at least, you know, help us discriminate between with and from. And they just seem to fade into the background. Uh, you know, you, you can search through uh, Department of Health websites and look at some of their data more carefully. And you can find, for example, when I look in Rhode Island, that a third or less of the, of the hospitalizations with COVID um, are actually because COVID is the primary cause. And even there, they hedge a little bit. They say primary or suspected primary. Um, so you really have to take a lot of these numbers with a grain of salt. But yeah, you're absolutely right because we're heading into the into the fall, uh, you know, flu season. We're seeing we're seeing a slight uptick. There's no stress at all uh, on on the system whatsoever. Uh, we have this huge pool of people who've been infected multiple times, which confers, you know, the most robust and enduring and flexible immunity. Um, and, and frankly, I think it's much ado about nothing. And even the introduction of this new vaccine, at least I don't know what Biden's talking about, but the vaccine that's about to come out uh, in a couple of weeks is targeting uh, the, the XBB 1.5 variant, um, which at the time the vaccine was approved might have been predominant. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, it only accounted for less than 5% of the current infections by surveillance. And by the time the vaccine is actually rolled out, it will probably be down to 0%. So we're constantly, wow. you know, chasing our tail with this with this kind of... And, it, and it's, you know, you can fault if you want to, uh, 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 you know, manufacturers, the government, but it's just the nature of mRNA vaccines. They mutate wildly, which is why the... Flu shots themselves, influenza is also an mRNA, uh, a, 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 um, an RNA virus. Um, it's very ineffective. We have almost a half century of data on the flu vaccine. It's, it's, it's very ineffective and certainly doesn't confer sterilizing immunity where you, you get immunized and you won't, and you won't transmit to other people. It, and, and it's not particularly effective at preventing hospitalizations or deaths. We know all this. And, well, yet, well, you know, yet, and yet we keep pushing. We just... Yeah, we just heard the president say, but this one's going to be effective. This one's going to work. I, I, and I don't know. It may be because it may be because of election season approaching or maybe perhaps. they've learned some lessons. I doubt it, but perhaps. Uh, but the Biden administration, at least at this point, does not appear to be going down the pathway of mandating the newest COVID jab, at least which not is, support. But they are refreshing. going to be recommending it to everyone. Yeah, I didn't. I, yeah. You know, so, what's your that, thoughts? You know, mandates should be completely verboten, but even even a broad recommendation is absurd because it's a very it's a very risk. Both influenza and 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 COVID are are really risk stratified. They they target the the frail, particularly the frail uh, elderly. Um, I wish we had more effective prophylaxis for them. Frankly, we don't. But if you're going to apply it at all, uh, uh, you know, it, it should be to a, to a niche group that's, that's at the highest possible risk. And broad recommendations are, are really absurd. And, and with the COVID vaccines, we know it's not, it's not common, but they carry a significant toxicity package with them, particularly um, we've seen this, this signal. Again, it's not common, 
it's a rare phenomenon, but it's a serious phenomenon of of, uh, of uh, mRNA vaccine induced myocarditis and and some rarer still cases myocarditis and sudden cardiac death. All for for. Let me get your quick reaction. Let me get your quick them. reaction to this. We've got sure. less than two minutes here, and sure. I want to I want to get your reaction. The five on on Fox, uh, their resident liberal, liberal Democrat of well, former Democratic representative Harold Ford. Uh, said this. I want to get your reaction. I won't wear a mask, but I'm going to get the shot. You are? How, what number shot is this for you? I've had it every... T- so I'm, I do one in October. I have one in April. How many? What's so the total? Probably, this yeah. will be my seventh. Seventh oh. <laughs> And I've had COVID three times. I, you okay, know, we've I got 30 that, seconds. Real quick the response. Laughter, the laughter underscores the absurdity of what he just said. You know, and, and, and the serious part is that there is, there is one of our uh, um, immunoglobulins that protect us. One of the classes of immunoglobulins, IgG4, is increased with multiple shots, and that's not a protective uh, antibody. That doesn't neutralize the virus. It actually helps accommodate the virus. And, and so this Dr. Is Boston, thank you strategy. so much. Sure thing. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch and for this great insight. We appreciate it very much. All right, friends, coming up, authorities in Finland are at it again. They're putting a member of their parliament back on trial for merely expressing a biblical understanding of marriage and sexuality. We'll share the latest right after the break. Stick around. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Good afternoon and welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. Glad to be with you. You may recall the case of Paivi Resonen in Finland. She was the Christian member of the parliament there who was prosecuted in June of 2019 under hate speech laws 
for merely expressing a biblical understanding of marriage and sexuality on social media, uh, in a radio interview, and in a pamphlet that was some 20 years old. Well, thankfully, the district court of Helsinki saw right through all the bogus charges against Pivey, and the court handed down a unanimous acquittal. But sadly, this story is not yet concluded with a good ending. Finnish authorities are now at it again, targeting Pivey again, and putting her on trial for a second time in the Finnish Court of Appeals. Clearly and sadly, freedom of religion and freedom of speech has double jeopardy principles, and that doesn't seem to exist in Finland. We're here to go over the latest in all of this is Paul Coleman. He's the executive director of Alliance Defending Freedom International. Paul, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's an honor to have you. Thank you for having me on. Well, listen, for those in our audience who may not have heard of this particular case, who is Pivey? And uh, just kind of give us the, the general lowdown on the, the case here. Yeah, Pivey is a long-standing member of the Finnish parliament. In fact, there are almost no one who has been in the Finnish parliament longer than she has, now well over a quarter of a century. Uh, she's a committed Christian. Uh, she expresses her Christian beliefs very openly. Um, she served as a government minister in a number of other senior roles over a quarter of a century in public office. And in 2019, the Finnish Lutheran Church decided to become an official sponsor of the Helsinki Pride Parade. Now, Pivy is a member of this church. Her husband is a pastor in the church. And she felt like she wanted to say something. So she took a picture of some Bible verses, posted them on Twitter, and essentially asked how could the decision of the Finnish Lutheran Church align with the clear teaching of Scripture. And from that moment, the police then started investigating her, um, essentially accusing her of uh, committing hate speech uh, for referring to um, homosexual behavior as a sin. Um, and then they found a pamphlet that she had written over 20 years ago. Um, and started investigating that as well. And then as she was discussing all of these things on public radio, they pulled out two minutes of a, a one-hour debate, took it out of context, and made that into a, a charge as well. So she faces these three charges for hate speech, simply for expressing her Christian beliefs on marriage and human sexuality. And the whole thing has been going on now for almost four years, in fact, over uh, four years. She's been dragged through the courts, hours of police interrogation, all for expressing her deeply held beliefs. Okay, so let's get to the bottom of this. What's really going on? You know, I think there's a lot of Americans who may be under the impression that European nations are just as free as we are here in the States. But, yeah, it's not obviously not necessarily so. But tell us, why is the Finnish government targeting that's really what is going on here. Why are they targeting Pivey and her Christian faith? What's really going on? Well, we see this whole theme of censorship across the Western world right now. So we, we've talked a lot about cancel culture. We see it on college campuses. We see it on social media. What's different in Europe and other Western nations is we have a lot of criminal laws that uh, censor speech as well. We call these hate speech laws. And they're essentially like a modern Western secular equivalent of blasphemy laws. And so if you 
say the wrong thing, if you go against the political or the cultural orthodoxies of the day, then these laws can be twisted and used and turned against you. And they're so subjective that they can really be arbitrarily enforced by the right police, the right prosecutor, anyone who disagrees with your beliefs. And so in, in the U.S. and other places, we see the same sort of censorship uh, mentality. The difference is in Europe and a lot of other countries, we have criminal laws backing that up. So what's next for this case? Where, where do you foresee this going from here? So it is being appealed, as you said, um, which is unheard of in a, in a U.S. system. I'm a British uh, lawyer, and it's unheard of in my system. There's a few countries that allow criminal cases to be appealed, much like civil cases. So this is an appeal. Um, essentially, the case is being retried. If we win again, which we pray we will, it could still go on then to the Supreme Court of Finland. Um, and of course, were we to lose at this stage, we would certainly appeal. And therefore, we're not done yet. So here we are four years in. It could well be um, at least another year that we're still battling this case. And what we often say in these hate speech cases is that the process becomes the punishment because it's such an ordeal to have to defend yourself like this. It's such an ordeal to be dragged through the court, be interrogated by the police that even if we eventually win and these charges um, are not successful and Pavey is acquitted. There will be many other people watching on thinking, well, I've got to be careful what I say because I don't want to have to go through the same ordeal. And so the prosecution itself creates a chilling effect for everyone else looking on. And that's why, firstly, it's important that we win the case. But secondly, we have to be bold in using our freedom of expression and making sure that these cases aren't brought in the first place. And real quickly, where can people go to get updates on this case? So we'll be on our ADF International's uh, Twitter handle. We'll be um, providing live updates from the trial starting tomorrow. The courthouse is right behind me. And our website, adfinternational.org slash free speech on trial. Perfect. Paul Coleman with Alliance Defending Freedom International. Thank you for sharing this incredible story. And hopefully we'll have a happy conclusion when it's all said and done. All right, friends, coming up, we're going to dive back into FRC's latest worldview survey and talk about what we discovered when we come back. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Congressman Matt Rosendale. I think that the ability to get the uh, message out uh, to a larger audience is critically important. And uh, 40 years at the... uh, Family Research Council has been doing that. It's not only uh, gives hope to the members of Congress and Senate that are up here serving so that they know that they have that strong ally. We need your support. We need your voice out there. And uh, the families across the country need it. And thank you again for everything that you do. And thank you, Congressman Matt Rosendale, for those kind words. Friends, I tell you, the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit is right around the corner. It's coming up September 15th through 17th right here in Washington, D.C. We hope you'll be able to join us as we celebrate not only 40 years as FRC, but 40 years of standing for faith, family, and freedom. And now, more than ever, it's time for all of us to stand together. And you'll get that capacity, the information of how to do so effectively. We hope you'll be able to come join us. Registration is open. Just go to prayvotestand.org for details and to register, and we certainly hope you'll be able to join us live September 15th through the 17th. All right, over the past week, we've been unpacking the results of FRC's extensive survey on the views of adult churchgoers in America on social issues and worldview issues. There is really so much to cover in this survey. So back with me now to dig into some other areas that the survey revealed is David Clawson. He's the director of FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview. David, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's good to see you. Good to see you and great to be back with you, Jody. 
All right, there's so much to cover in all of this, and we've been able to spend some time as uh, we've had some brief conversations throughout the week about this latest FRC Worldview survey. But let's begin just by, if you would, David, just remind us why FRC conducted this research in the first place and how we think it could potentially be helpful to the church. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that we do at Family Research Council, one of the reasons uh, a couple of years ago we even started the Center for Biblical Worldview is to come alongside pastors and uh, Christian parents and Christian ministries uh, to provide resources and help uh, to help people think <clears throat> through all issues through the lens of a biblical worldview. And so what we wanted to do with this survey that we thought was really important is we really wanted to know what do churchgoers, regular church attenders, really America's most devout Christians, what do they actually believe on all of these issues? Because, you know, Dodie, there's a lot of groups, uh, big names like Pew and Gallup, uh, that will do uh, extensive surveys. Uh, but one of the things about their methodology is uh, they will ask people, you know, whether they identify as Christian. And if this, someone identifies as Christian, well, then their responses are marked down as a believer. Uh, and, you know, the, the issue with that methodology is the, you know, and I think I said this the other day, Jody, you know, someone might not have been inside a church since they were dropped off in vacation Bible school in the 1970s, and yet they're still... Uh, marked down as a Christian. And, and so that's not super helpful for us to know what devout Christians actually believe. So again, in our national survey, uh, we wanted to know what devout Christians actually believe. And so you actually had to attend church uh, to take our survey. And of the people who took this, 72% are weekly churchgoers, and the other 28% are at least monthly churchgoers, which in our view uh, helps us, we think, get the pulse of what uh, America's most devout believers actually think when it comes to basic doctrinal issues and social and political issues. And that really is what sets this survey apart, as you mentioned, from other surveys. I mean, it is one thing to say, oh, I consider myself a Christian. It's a totally different thing to be an individual who is devout in those beliefs and consistent week in and week out, month after month, in a specific body of believers. So that is what really puts this survey apart from others, and it is that reason that uh, really we believe is going to be helpful information for the church abroad. Uh, when you, that's basically the bottom line of it, isn't it? No, it is, and because what we think we can do with this survey is by uh, asking about basic doctrinal issues, basic theological questions, social and political issues, with, with these results, which I invite everybody to look at, uh, the surveys on our website, frc.org forward slash worldview. Our hope is, is that uh, Sunday school teachers and pastors and other uh, uh, ministry leaders can uh, kind of teach to the test, so to speak. Uh, they, they can see areas uh, where faithful Christians are uh, confused or uh, maybe lacking knowledge. And so, again, we, we hope this will help for, for, for example, Jody, one of the things we asked was about homosexuality. And uh, one, of the, one of the questions we asked is, do you believe the Bible is clear on this issue? And a 19%, so that's about one in five people who go to church, uh, said the Bible, that in their view, was unclear or ambiguous. 
And, and so that little piece of data right there, we think a pastor could use and say, well, my, my goodness, if one out of five people in my church believe the Bible is unclear on homosexuality, uh, I can work into my sermon rotation, maybe a a, a, a sermon on Romans 1 or 1 Corinthians 6, 9 or 1 Timothy 1, 10 uh, to make sure my people understand that God's word is actually clear on this issue. So again, that's just one example of many I could give uh, that we hope a pastor or a leader looking at this survey will be able to say, here are areas uh, where I can focus my instruction, my teaching, and my catechesis. I think that is an excellent example of how this information can be used, and we hope it will be used. So you and I have been able to talk uh, throughout this week on different aspects of the surveys, specifically worldview issues and abortion and that type of thing. And, uh, and, and I know people can and hope they will go look at the survey for themselves at uh, what you, you described, uh, frc.org slash worldview. But what if anything, did this survey show about what Christians believe specifically about things like transgenderism? Yeah, Jody, so we actually asked, again, out of the 60 questions we asked, we asked two specific questions related to the transgender issue. And it was kind of in the section where we asked people specifically, do you believe uh, the Bible addresses this matter? And then we listed a host of issues. And so on the transgender issue, we actually asked the question, uh, do you believe the Bible addresses the matter of whether we can know someone's gender? And 59% uh, said that the Bible was clear and decisive on that question. 15% said the Bible was unclear or ambiguous. And then another 18% said the Bible does not address it. Uh, very similarly, we ask uh, the question, does the Bible address uh, the question, is transgenderism morally acceptable? So is transgenderism morally acceptable? And does the Bible address that question? And only 52% of folks, uh, again, these are regular churchgoers, 52% said that they thought the Bible was clear and decisive on the question. 19% said the Bible was uh, unclear or ambiguous. And a full 20% admitted they did not know uh, whether the Bible addressed the question whether transgenderism is morally acceptable. Uh, of the questions we ask, actually, Jody, this was one of the ones that polled the lowest. And so I, I think there's some things we should be thinking about learning uh, in regards to this uh, information. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that sounds like really low numbers for regular church attenders who are unclear as to what the Bible has to say on such an incredibly important and current issue as transgenderism. So, so what, do you, what do you think uh, is behind this? Where do we go from? Like, to, to you, you were surprised by that, it sounds like, as, as well. So um, where do we go from here on a question like that? Yeah, I think I initially, admittedly, was surprised. And the more I thought about it, Jody, because uh, you know, the, the question we ask about marriage, do you believe the Bible is clear on marriage? A full 75% said the Bible was clear and decisive on marriage. And that's something we've been debating now for uh, over a decade. And so I think uh, one of my takeaways on the question of transgenderism, that only 52% thought the Bible was clear and decisive, well, one, I, I think that, uh, unfortunately, uh, the church often follows the culture. And so I think um, we've been talking about transgenderism uh, less than, say, issues related to marriage or life. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of catching up uh, that our churches are still doing. Now, you and I, 
uh, work in politics and public policy uh, related at the intersection of our faith. And so again, this issue for us, I think we've been talking about it for several years, at least since 2016. I remember when Bruce Jenner announced to the world, you know, he was Caitlyn Jenner. I think since then, I've really focused on the transgender issue. I think it's important for us to realize, though, that a lot of uh, church-going Americans haven't been as focused and so, on the issue. And so when they were asked about it, uh, does the Bible address it? They thought, maybe not. I, I can't think of a passage. And so I think that's why uh, rather than following the culture, the church needs to observe the culture and realize if this is the issue being talked about, uh, we need to provide teaching on Genesis 1 and 2 uh, on male and female being created in God's image. And so that's definitely an area of opportunity, in my view, for the church. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it is probably a natural uh, reality that the church kind of follows uh, culture until there's preaching and teaching from the pulpit to address those cultural issues and that this is one of those issues that immediately needs some attention in the pulpits. Uh, I think that's incredibly valuable information. Now, uh, uh, an encouraging part of this, another encouraging part, there are many encouraging parts, but another one, uh, at least to me, is how many churchgoers believe that the Bible speaks to the issue of religious liberty, which these days we're seeing under great uh, attack and assault and challenge. Uh, what were some of the numbers that came forth on this issue and were you encouraged by the things that, uh, that you found here? I was, Jody. I was actually pleasantly surprised when we asked the question, you know, do you believe the Bible uh, addresses the issue of religious freedom? Uh, because if you read the scripture, you know, the words religious freedom or religious liberty actually don't appear anywhere on the pages of the Bible. Now, I argue that the, the principles of religious freedom are deeply uh, in the narrative of Scripture. Uh, I could give a lot of examples. Just one, you know, Jesus uh, never forced anyone to follow him. And he even let the rich young ruler walk away. When you read the book of Acts, Paul was always exhorting and persuading people. Uh, he understood that you couldn't coerce anybody to believe something that they didn't believe in their heart. As Christians, we believe the Holy Spirit does the work of persuasion. And so when we asked that question, I thought this number might be low, but it was actually 69% of regular churchgoers uh, thought they believed the Bible addressed this issue of religious liberty. It was only uh, 9% said uh, that the Bible didn't address it. So, Jody, I was very encouraged uh, that people are reading their Bibles and understanding that that principle of religious freedom is actually in the pages of the Bible. Yeah, that really is good news. I, there's so much to cover here, David. I, I, I just don't know where, which way to go at some point. But let me go back. I don't mean to circle back around, but I want to throw this back to you and get a, a little bit more clarity on this. We've already talked about what the survey had to uh, say about where Christians are on the issue of abortion. And that was really good news, very good news. Uh, but there's some other statistics in this topic that we didn't cover. And so going a little bit deeper into all of this, uh, what do regular church attenders actually believe the Bible says in regard to when life begins? Yeah, Jody, good question. Um, and it was encouraging, like you said. The vast majority of regular churchgoers identify as pro-life. Uh, it was a significant percentage. But then, again, and this is why I think the survey is helpful, we ask more specific follow-up questions. And we ask the question, uh, do you believe the Bible actually identifies when human life begins? And 65% 
uh, told us that they believed that the Bible identified when life began. Uh, 21% said the Bible did not identify when life began, and 13% said they didn't know. So again, 65% in their view said that they believe the Bible identified when life began. Jody, we asked those people a follow-up question. So just that 65%, we asked them a follow-up question. You believe the Bible identifies when life begins. Where is that point? And of that 65%, Jody, only 52% actually said that they believe that the Bible taught that life began at conception. 8% actually said they believe the Bible said life begins with breath. 7% said that they believe that viability uh, is when life begins. Another 6% said it was around six weeks after fertilization. And a full 12% who had initially said they thought the Bible identified when life began, uh, they backed off the question and said, well, actually, we really don't know. And so, again, 65% identify, uh, 65% said, in their view, the Bible identified a point, and it was only 52%. So just, again, perspective, only 345 people, Jody, out of the over 1,000 people who took our survey said the Bible teaches that life begins with conception. And so although there's you know, encouraging things on the life issue, this is one where, to me, it shows that as pastors, Christian leaders, we need to be going a level deeper to helping our people really understand that the Bible affirms the personhood of the unborn at the moment of conception. Yeah, that's really interesting information to me on an issue that we've dealt with now for decades and decades to see that there's still some issues of, uh, that need some biblical clarity yeah. on when life begins. All right, listen, David, again, I, I hate that our time is, is running out, but we've only got about a minute or so uh, to, to go here. So, so let's wrap up. How can pastors and Christian teachers use this survey to help the people develop to develop a Christian worldview about 30 seconds or so yeah in in short Jody I would just encourage everyone to look at the survey to see uh, what we've discovered about the theological worldview and social beliefs of America's devout Christians and then like I said teach to the test uh, let's show our people what the Bible actually says on these issues and my prayer is this will lead to deeper discipleship and more faithful understanding of all these devout Christians well, thank you, David Clawson, Director of FRC Center for Biblical Worldview. One more time real quickly, where can people go to find this survey? FRC.org forward slash worldview. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we appreciate it. Friends, that wraps up this edition of Washington Watch. Tony will join you tomorrow. Thank you so much. God bless. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.